privilege this morning to have Rich and Julia Rudolph with us. They're our global partners in Germany. Two of our younger kids, Lincoln and Lucy, are with them for this good morning at Calvary. It has been said that Christianity is always one generation away from dying out. That's why it's so encouraging and invigorating to be around a new generation of global partners who are taking the good news about Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. You're going to appreciate this challenge this morning from Rich. Julia, of course, is Kurt and Karen DeGraff's daughter and one of our favorites all along from that history. Welcome to the Rudolphs this morning. Good morning. Great to be here with you guys this morning. Like a pastor said, my father-in-law was your pastor uh, from, I believe, 2008 to 2000, or 2003 to 2008. And uh, it's such a privilege to be here with you guys this morning. Um, you have supported us in our ministry since uh, 2013 as well. Um, our nine-year anniversary of being in Germany is actually, I believe, tomorrow or today. I don't know what it depends when we left on that plane. But yeah, we've been there now nine years, and uh, it's our first time being able to get back here with you all here on furlough. And uh, it's just been a great pleasure. And when in the first service, I said this, I said, you know, a lot of these hip, cool churches, they usually have the pastor sit on a, a stool when they preach. And uh, when I was sitting there this morning, I saw this. I thought, do I have to sit on this stool and preach? Because this is pretty tall. I don't know, I'm going to get up on this. I might need a ladder and then sit here. But then I realized that they were using it as a pulpit. So we're all good, all right, because I didn't know how to climb up on that today. Um, but like I said, it's a pleasure to be with you, the first service now, this service with you all. Um, right before we left for Ger er, from Germany to come here on furlough, um, I got a message on my car, which we all get every once in a while. And in Germany, um, this, this message said, Motorstörung, and that means maintenance required. It means there's something going wrong in your engine. And this engine light, though, you know, in America, it's like this little yellow light that you're kind of like, don't even realize what's going on. In Germany, it was really big. It's like this big, and it's like, rainer, rainer, and it scared me to death. I was driving. I was like, what's going on in my car? I got very scared. And it's flashing, and it's like, look under your hood. There's something, the matter. Pay attention. And just as that was going off, I did what uh, uh, every good guy would do. You know, there's, there's two different options that I had at that point. One is I take it immediately to the mechanic to find out what's going on. The second option would have been to ignore it. Well, like I said, I did what every good guy would do at that moment, and I sold the car. <laughs> Chose a third option. Sold it. I was, knew I was going to leave to come back to America, so I just decided to get rid of it. Well, that engine light was trying to tell me, there's something the matter here. you got to pay attention. And as I think right now, during the time of the pandemic that we're now two years into, especially in Germany, during that time, there was a check engine light going on in my heart, just as loud as that car. And God was trying to get my attention. He's trying to say, Rich, there's something the matter with your relationship with me. And it was very loud, and it was very evident to myself. And I was realizing that I was not engaging the world around me like I was before the pandemic. 
Um, God was showing me that I didn't care as much about sharing the gospel, but instead my life was consumed with so many other little things that really had no eternal purpose. Or worrying about things in our church that, that in the end, it, it didn't really matter. I was focused on things, not on having my eyes open for the people who needed Jesus. Maybe your check engine light's going off in your heart today. Maybe the last two years, you have really become either fearful or you have become very just nonchalant with the gospel message. And you're just kind of in a rut. It's kind of uh, very laissez-faire. Well, I'm going to ask you the questions that the Lord brought to my heart uh, to show me that this check engine light was going off. And I'm going to ask you the same questions, and I want you to see how you answer them. The first question was, when was the last time you shared the gospel with somebody? For me, uh, if it has not been within the last month, then maybe that signal should be going off. To go one month without sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Second question, how many friends do you have in your life that do not go to church, that don't claim a relationship with Jesus Christ? If the answer is zero, that warning life should be going off. And by a friend, I mean not the guy that you drive by on your way to go park in your garage and close the door. Somebody you've actually invited to your house for a meal. That's what I would consider a friend. How much time do you spend with that unbelieving friend? Or how much time do you spend with unbelievers? If you're like, well, 40 hours a week because I'm at the works, uh, you know, my job. Okay, that, that, that does count in some ways, but what extra time are you setting apart for that? This is the one that God really convicted me about. If God answered every prayer request and every time you prayed for somebody who didn't know Jesus, that they would come to know Jesus and enter into relationship with him, how many people would have been saved that week? That one hit me like a ton of bricks, because I realized I, I was stopped, I, I'd stopped really praying for unbelievers, I was praying for other things. Nobody would have got saved that week. That's scary. So after answering those questions right now in your life, is your check engine going off, that light in your heart, and is God trying to get a hold of you somehow? We often have the misconception that there are professionals in the Christian life, and they should be sharing the gospel. Missionaries, that's your job. Pastor, it's your job to save people so that this church grows. Now, that's actually not true. We need to realize that the gospel was given to each and every person as a job to go share. There are no professionals with this calling from the Lord. Christ said, go make disciples. And that was given to us as the church. Romans, it says, how can they believe on the gospel unless they hear the gospel? And how can they hear the gospel unless it is preached or, in our instance, sharing? We sometimes think, well, Rich, I just don't have the gift. There's some people who are gifted at it, and there's some people who are not, and I'm not. Therefore, I'm not going to push myself to do it. Well, it's not just for an elected, gifted person. But like I said, Jesus gives us this command. Sometimes we feel uncomfortable, we feel pressure. I get that. We feel fearful. 
I understand. But today I want us to look at a story in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 9, if you have that with you your, today, your Bible. And I want us to look and discover what Jesus did during his time on earth and how we can intentionally live like Jesus did and see the story of Matthew and how he came to Christ and using that story to help us live intentionally and to really discover a passion for sharing the gospel again. I want to look at today, if you're taking sermon notes, this is the sermon title, I want to look at three actions that will help us intentionally share the gospel with our community. I want to look at three actions that will help us intentionally share the gospel with our community here in Covington, Kentucky. Matthew 9, 9 through 13, I'm going to read that. And you follow along. It says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth and said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Verse 10, and Jesus reclined at table in the house. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he being Jesus, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came to, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. The first action, number one. Number one, if you're taking notes, our first action to live intentionally is this. Number one, go outside the walls of this building to share the gospel. Go outside the walls of this building to share the gospel. If you want to intentionally share the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are probably going to have to do this Monday through Saturday outside the walls of this building. I know that sounds kind of crazy, but Monday through Saturday, I don't think there's many unbelievers here. And Monday through Saturday, you're probably not here either. So Monday through Saturday, we have to live intentionally to go outside the walls of this church to go share the gospel. Jesus does this constantly. Jesus went and found Matthew in this story, not in the synagogue. If I was Jesus, I would be seeking my disciples, the people to follow me, in good places where religious people are, where the nice and tidy people are. But that's not what Jesus does. Jesus goes and calls his disciples, and especially in this story, he calls Matthew to follow him where? From his workplace. He finds Matthew, a tax collector, at his job. Now, back then, maybe even like today, tax collectors were hated. You're like, hey, Northern Kentucky, we have a lot of tax collectors here. Be be careful here, all right? Tax collectors in that day were seen as traitors because they worked with the Roman officials to get taxes from their own countrymen and would sometimes actually lie and take more. They're dishonest people. And Jesus, seeing and seeking the lost, he looks outside, not in the synagogue. He looks outside, and he sees a man, and he calls him to follow him. People who don't know Jesus 
I know this is crazy for you to think, are typically not found here on Sunday mornings. Do you know that? The people who don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior are typically not here on Sunday mornings. You know why I know that? I have never gone to a church in my life that saw a line of unbelievers trying to get in. They're like, there are no seats. How do we get in this place? I have never seen that in my life. I've seen it at football games. I've seen it at concerts. I've seen it at other places. I've seen it at restaurants. I've never seen it in the church building. There's not a line of people that are unbelievers trying to get in here. Now, you will have the occasional person come to church, which is great. We see that in Germany. And praise the Lord. The Lord is doing something in their life, and all of a sudden they come in. They're like, I want to get saved. And you're like, wow, that was easy. Well, guess what? That's typically not how we are going to reach our community. If you, we are sitting here and just saying, I hope someone comes, we've missed it. And we've missed what Jesus was trying to show and how he lived intentionally. He went outside the walls of those synagogues where the people were that were religious, and he went to the unreligious, and he started going out and calling them to be his disciples and doing miracles and to love them and to show them what it meant to be his followers. If you are relying on your pastor to do it, then you've missed what it's called to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Pastor, you better get some more people in here. You better do something, because I'll tell you one thing, these pews are getting empty, and we got to see this filled up. Well, guess what? Get up today, go out, grab one of these Easter books, and go bring it to your neighbor. Go bring it to the person next to you. What is the primary way we are relying on reaching others? And often people are like, well, I post things on Facebook. If your only avenue of reaching people is posting weird things on Facebook, that's probably not doing a great job reaching those around you. Because People might like it that are believers, but the unbelievers are like, I don't even know what they're talking about. We have to think outside the box how we're going to reach people. If you see the church service as the only avenue for people to come to Christ, then guess what? You're missing how Jesus did it. We have to retrain our thinking that it's not the pastor's job, a professional's job, or just the church staff's job to do this, but Jesus has commanded each and every one of us to go out into our workplaces, to go out because we're only here two hours a week to go out here, refill on Sundays, and to go back out and to go bring the gospel to a dying and needy world and to live purposefully. Go out and meet people where your favorite hobby is. Maybe you're playing basketball. You love that. Maybe you love going to the gym. Maybe you love cars. Maybe There's something, a hobby that you have an interest where unbelievers are and you're deciding, I'm going to do that and leverage that and use that to meet unbelievers so that I can come in contact and live intentionally. I know right now you're looking at me and you're like, Rich, your hobby, if I had to guess, would be bodybuilding. I know that's your thought. You're looking at me like, I have 400 that guy's putting up, bench pressing. I know this might come as a shock to you, but I, actually it's not. Bodybuilding is not my hobby, even though it looks like it. <clears throat> but uh, like when we went to Germany, we planted a church, and guess what? We put a sign up, and you want to know how many people came? Zero. Why? Because people aren't looking for Jesus Christ where we are. People don't care. Could have had a great cotton machine, cotton you know, candy machine and popcorn. People still wouldn't come. So we had to go to where people were. And so intentionally speaking, I got a gym membership. And you're like, I, I can see that. So I got a gym membership, 
And purposefully, I would try to start relationships with people so that I could be friends with them. And from our friendship, share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. And so, slowly but surely, I became friends with a guy, and we'd work out together, and we became friends, and other people as well. But it was amazing to see that living intentionally and working out with somebody, how many conversations that leads to about Jesus. Why? Because I'm a pastor. What do you do? Well, I'm a pastor. Huh? What? I've never seen a young priest before. I'm like, well, not really a Catholic priest. You know, I try to explain that. Trying to explain to them through two years of just who Jesus is, what he's done in my life, why I live differently, what the gospel is. And it's amazing. God brought a good friend in my life, and we became good friends. And through time, I said, do you want to do a Bible study together? And through time, he, he became a Christian. And you know what? If I would not have purposefully gone and gotten a gym membership to go meet somebody, I never would have met him. He never would have come to our church looking for the gospel because he hadn't got nowhere on his radar. But purposely speaking, we did that in order to meet him. And Julie and I do that all the time with different things. And I want you to think about that right now. How am I living on purpose with Jesus Christ to leverage my hobbies and my interests and the things I like to do and seeing where unbelievers are and going to do that where they are? What are you doing in your life? To go outside the walls of here, Monday through Saturday, to reaching people who need Jesus Christ. What are you purposefully doing? And that leads me to the second point, number two. Number two. The second intentional action we need to take is this. Go on the mission with others. Bring others with you. Don't go alone. Go on the mission with others. Don't do this alone. Right after Matthew becomes a follower of Jesus, it says Matthew invites Jesus and the disciples to have a party at his house, and he invites unbelievers to also come. I love Matthew er, and Luke Chapter 5, 29, it says this. Levi, it's talking about Matthew, made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table. In verse 10 here in chapter 9. And Jesus reclined at table in the house, and behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Matthew's friends from his old life were tax collectors and sinners the rough people of that society, the traitors and the sinners. The people that like to have a, a good time, but not a godly time. They were the people that you didn't want to be around. They were the people that would give you a bad reputation. And what happens is that Matthew has his life changed, and instead of going to his old friends by himself to share with them the new thing that has happened in his life, he wants to celebrate what's taking place in his life with who? His new friends, Jesus, and the disciples. And so what does he do? He says, come on over to my house, Jesus. Bring the disciples, and we're going to have a big party. We're going to go on mission together. And I want my old friends to get to know my new friends so that they can see what salt and light really is. So they can see what difference Jesus makes, who Jesus is, and so that they can see the disciples and be like, what's going on? Who are these people? Why are they so different? Who is Jesus? What's changed your life, Matthew? You used to be somebody completely different. And Jesus practiced this all the time with his disciples. 
They were together on mission all the time, wherever they went. When Jesus sends out the 70, what does he do? He sends them out in twos. If you are desiring to live on mission and share the gospel with your community, don't do it alone. Bring others with you from the body of Christ. You have a community of believers, brothers and sisters in Christ here today that show you that you are not alone in this world. Look around. There's more than 10 of us here. It means you're not alone. It means you're on mission together as a body of Christ, the local body of Christ at Calvary Church, Calvary Baptist Church here. You have a community that's saying we are in this together. And the local church, through the power of the Holy Spirit, with the gospel message, is the most powerful organism on this earth. Did you know that? What other organism has the Holy Spirit in God's word that is bringing dead people to life? Nobody. That's power, man. And guess what? We're in this together. We're on mission together to go do this. So when a group of believers says, you know, we want to live on mission together. We want to be purposeful together. We want the world to see us together. It's a powerful thing. And Jesus said that. He said, talked about the greatest, this great apologetic that he was going to give us, our love for one another. He said this in John 13, 34. He says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Well, I have a question for you. If, if, how, if and how can the world see the greatest, this great apologetic at work if they are never around you with your church community? How can they ever see your love for one another and that you are disciples of Jesus if you never have your church community with you on mission when you're around unbelievers? That's a great tool to use. To say, here's my unbelieving friend and here's my believing friend. They're going to see a difference how we interact. And they're going to say, wow, what's going on? And we're on mission together, man. We, we want to bring the gospel to our whole community together. Matthew doesn't go to this party alone, but instead he brings the salt and light with him. He brings his new community so they can see the love of Jesus. Why go alone when we can bring others with us? I have a friend here in America, a couple of stories like this in Germany too, but this is the most recent one. <clears throat> My friend said one night, he just got so convicted. He said, man, I am so sick of just talking about law and stuff with my neighbor. I have to share with him the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he went and he shared the gospel with his friend, his neighbor, and his friend got, this neighbor got saved. And this neighbor, as the, as the scales fell off and he was, became a believer, he's like, why in the world are we not telling everybody in this neighborhood so he said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to start every Tuesday, and we're going to have a men's meeting. And we're going to eat together, and we're going to go through the Bible. And we're going to share with the people in our neighborhood, the men in our neighborhood, if you want to know about Jesus, come. And so they started doing that, and they had five guys. And they grew to ten guys. They grew to fifteen guys. And they kept sharing Christ together with these other men, and their neighborhood is getting radically reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, it's amazing we do that together. When you team up together, and I see that in Germany as well. There's so many times in Germany where we have an event or something, and I'm like, I've got to go share Christ, or I've got to go pass these things out. And guess what I do? I take someone with me so we could be together in this and show, hey, we're in this together. We want people to know the love of Jesus Christ together. I'm telling you, the fear, 
fades away. And we see how God works so strongly when we're together on mission with Jesus Christ. We purposefully in our church in Germany have set up ways for men and women to do this as well. We have a women's breakfast pre-COVID where you can invite friends to come and come to a women's Bible study and, and eat together and see the love of Jesus at a place. For our men's ministry, we would go out bowling or we'd go out to eat or we'd go do something outside a, a trip together and be able to invite unbelieving friends to come so that they could see us interact with one another and have a chance to see the gospel at work. Think about how you in your life and through this church can do the same thing. I mean, Matthew did it with a great party. Think about how you can do it with sporting events or other things you can invite people to get together. God is allowing us to think creatively to reach people Monday through Saturday with our community around us. Have normal events that you normally have, but do it with purpose on mission with your believing friends and your unbelieving friends to talk and to hear about Jesus. And that leads me to my third point, number three. Number three, learn to love the mess around us. If we want to intentionally reach our community, number three, learn to love the mess around us. And I don't like this point. This is a hard point to live. Maybe not for you, but this is hard. I'm going to go through this here. I love this here. Jesus is with the disciples in verse 11. And the Pharisees come. They said, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? This is the question. Man, he, Jesus is getting backlash. Why would your leader want to be with the drags of society, the losers, the, 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 the sinners, the people that make everyone feel uncomfortable, the bad reputation people? And this is what Jesus says. When Jesus heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus' response is this. I'm going to sick people. I'm going to work with sick people who are dying. See, the Pharisees at this time, they believed that they had all the rituals right. They believed they had everything right. Their life was so clean and tidy. They didn't need the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, I'm good enough. My works, my rituals, that's good enough. I'm not messy. I am clean. But Jesus says the opposite. He's like, if you think you're so clean, you don't need me then. Because I came as a doctor to heal the sick. How many of you have ever been to the doctor's office before? There's always one person after the service like, I've never gone. I've never gone in my life. Okay. Besides you, they're like, I don't believe in it. Doctors are quacks. All right. The one person who's not raising their hand, that's fine. I have been to the doctor's office before. And the reason I go to the doctor's is because I'm sick. Okay? That's the reason why I'm going to give them a lot of money. I'm not going there to hang out. I've, and, and to be honest, I've actually never thought, you know, I, I just want to go to the doctor's today and hang out. I mean, it's going to be like a luau there. I've never walked into a, a doctor's office and they have a pig on a spit and they're like, hey, so glad that you dropped in today. Sign your name in and put this little lay on and enjoy yourself. Have something to eat. We're so glad you're here today. What are you here for? I'm like, I just want to hang out. I've never done that in my life. It's been the opposite. I'm sick and I'm trying to do it on my own, but I realize I'm like, man, I got to get to the doctor and get some sort of medicine to heal me. So what happens is 
I'm sick, I make the appointment, I go to the doctor's office, and then when I get in there, like, please sign your name, I look at this pen and I think, everybody has their diseases on this pen that I'm signing in with. What am I doing here? And then I sit down, and the guy next to me has, like, fever and chills. He's like, oh, and I'm like, uh, I'm going to move over a seat. Move over a seat. Because I don't want his sickness. I'm like, this is going to get me more sick. And then this guy I'm sitting next to on the other side is, you know, itchy and rashy. He's like, oh, you know, I'm like, oh, I don't want to sit here. So then I go across the other aisle, and then I'm there, and then there's another guy who's hawking up a lung, like, and I'm like, uh, I don't want to be here either. I'm getting more sick. Why? Because that's where all sick people go, is at the doctor. That's our expectation, right? When you're sick, you go to the doctor. And that's exactly how we are in Christianity. It's exactly how we are in Christianity. We are those sick people. We are sick, needy, broken people in need of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And like I said, we go to the doctor because we try to do it on our own, and guess what? We can't. We need help. So what do we do? We go to see a physician. And maybe right now you're like, you know what? I'm not that bad. I mean, come on, look at my life. I've got this. No. Have you forgotten who you were before Christ? We are desperately broken and weak, and our lives are in pieces and shattered. And guess what? We tried it on our own until the great physician came to us and he said, here's the medicine you need. Here's what I want to give to you. And it's my life. And it's what I've done. That is the heart of the gospel. That Jesus desires that people would come into relation with him. But guess what? Unless we realize that we are sick and needy and broken and, and without the great physician, we will get no healing. Guess what will happen? We will look at everyone else that's messy in the world and be like, I'm glad I'm not them. Glad I don't have that problem. Glad I don't have to take care of that. But when we start realizing that we are just as sick as the person next to us, it will change the way that we see them. It will change the way that we act. Maybe you're thinking right now, well, what did Jesus do? I mean, what did Jesus really do to change my life? You're talking about this. Jesus did this. See, because we were so messy and broken and needy, Jesus said they cannot do it on their own. So I'm going to have to do it on their behalf. And Jesus came and lived a perfect life on our behalf. And he lived the perfect life, and not only that, but he was condemned falsely. And he went to the cross. A perfect man went to the cross, and he died on our behalf. And on the cross, he bore the sin, our sickness and sin that was ours. And the punishment for that was eternity and eternal hell away from the Father. And he said, because of what you have done, this is the punishment. But Jesus said, no, I'm going to take that on. Because these people are messy, and without me, they will never find healing. And so Jesus went to the cross, the innocent Lamb of God, and he laid our sin upon us, and he paid for that sin. Because he said, you're too messy and sick and needy, and guess what? Without me, you'll never find this. And that's what changed our life. There's nothing else in this world that can do what Jesus did. Jesus said, now go and learn what that means. 
Learn what real mercy means, Pharisees. Learn what real life change looks like from the great physician. Because if you don't need me, just get away. But I'm here to help and rescue those who are in need. And the world around us is messy and lost. And we need to learn what it means. And if we have grasped the love of Jesus that he's had for us, while yet we are sinners and in need of a doctor, and if we have finally grasped that, guess what? We will see the world around us as just another person needing the good news because what? It changed our life. We won't look at somebody and be like, ew, yuck, that is just terrible. I want nothing to do with that. But instead, we're going to be like, I got healing? Let me teach you where else to get healing. It will change how we see them and wanting to give them the gospel message. The same thing happened with us in our life um, with our son, Justice. We, he was born with uh, part of his intestine not working, and we had sought after doctor, after doctor, after doctor, and we couldn't find an answer for the problems that he was having. And one day, someone through another friend heard of the problems that we were having. And they came to us and they said, hey, we found somebody that changed our life. It's a doctor that deals with these issues you're dealing with. And guess what? He can help provide healing. So what did I do as a parent? Did I hear the good news and was like, eh, whatever. No, man, I bought a flight with our kids, and we went there as soon as we could. We made the appointment. We went there. Why? Because the need was so important. And after, through a long sessions, a long time, our son was able to get slow healing. Well, guess what happened? If other people have the same problem, what do I do? Do I keep it to myself? No, man, I want to tell you about the specialist that helped my son, and it changed his life. He needed this. And as a parent, I was desperate to do whatever it took to get him the medicine it took to help his life. And I tell everybody about it. Because why? It changed him. And he was sick. Now he's better. And if that's what I do with an earthly thing, why would I not do it with a spiritual thing? To see how we were broken and suffering and away from the Lord and had no relationship. And to keep that to myself and when I see my neighbor in the broken world around me to say, ah, it doesn't matter. No. They are so broken and needy, but they don't know who the healer is. And if we go beyond the gospel and think, oh, it doesn't matter, we'll be just like the Pharisees, not seeing the sinner and the tax collector, but instead saying, that's a messy thing I don't want to get involved with. Because you know what? Sharing Christ with people is the most messy thing you will actually enter into in life. It's hard. And there's times, I've always said this, the Lord seems to bring people who are the sick and needy into our lives in Germany. I've yet to see the CEO of Porsche come. I've really prayed for that, but it hasn't happened yet. And there's a story of a young man who came to our church, and he was broken, and his background was just a mess. And our church poured out love upon him. It was amazing to see that we were pouring out love upon grace and, and wanted to help get his life in order. And we were doing that slowly, but he had a, he had a relationship and, and a child, and it was just a very messy thing. And there were times like, Lord, this is so messy. This is so hard. Well, one night, everything push came to shove, and he just bolted, left the church, left everybody, and everyone was just hurt. It was messy. It was a messy situation. And... He threw it all away, and I said, don't throw away your life. Don't throw this away. Don't do this. And he did. Well, this last year, he reached out to me. 
And he said, hey, I just saw the, the show The Chosen. And uh, I made a mistake, and I want to get back, and I want to really, you know, come back into this relationship with Jesus. <clears throat> and I said, well, I'm here. I, I can't meet with you, but I'm going to try to get a hold of a Christian that would, that kind of knows you a little bit. And I reached out to somebody and said, hey, would you mind meeting with this guy? And he just, he actually, I was like, can I give him your number? And he just said no. And it, right now you're probably like, why would he do that? Because it's a messy, hard relationship. And at first I'm angry and I'm saying, why would you say no to this? This guy is needing the gospel. But you know what God did? He reflected that back on me and said, how often do you say no to the people around you who are dying in our need of the gospel? When I see their situation, I just say no. I'm going to do my own thing. How many times do I say no daily to the person I'm in conversation with? Because it's just too hard. And I got to admit, it's sometimes too often. And I throw away the opportunity and the chance, just like we often do by the, out, by the circumstances around us. But that's not what Jesus did. Instead, he went beyond to heal the brokenness. And Matthew grasped that. That's why he saw the Savior and wanted those broken friends to come to know about him. And that changed him 100%. 100%. So <clears throat> I want to close out here today couple things. If you're an unbeliever here today, my question to you is this. Have you found the medicine of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Has the gospel of Jesus Christ changed your life? If you are here and you do not have a relationship with Jesus, I would ask you to accept that message for the first time today. He is the doctor. He sees your messy, sick life, and he says, I want to heal you. There's nothing you've ever done that will keep him away from healing you. He sees you and he wants you. Isn't that amazing? He actually wants you in the deepest, worst thing you've ever done. And he says, I love you. Come to me. Second, maybe you are a believer. I assume most of us are here today. And my question for you is this. Is your check engine light on? Have we forgotten the story of the gospel? What's going on in your life right now? Have things drowned out the importance of who Jesus is? Have things in your world drowned out the passion? Are you just lifeless when it comes to him and I just don't even care? Where are you today? Is your check engine light on? And I want you to think about the amazing opportunity we have right now with Easter coming up. In your church has given you a book with an invitation. And I want you to think right now, who can I give this to? Who can I take this book that has an invitation for Easter and invite them to church and invite them to come eat with us? I want you to think about that right now. Easter is, a, Easter is a, an amazing opportunity that we can use to say, hey, come to Easter service, ask them, what are you doing Easter? And please come to my house and eat with us afterwards. And you're like, my wife doesn't cook. Take them out to eat. Don't let any excuse stop you. And fill in this blank. You are in this person's life, right in the name, for this reason, to share the gospel. God has put you in this person's, re in this person's life for a reason to share the gospel. And I want you to fill in the that blank with the name. Because sovereignty is not 
just God knowing everything, but that God has placed you sovereignly in this person's life for such a time as this to allow you to pray for them and think about them and search for an opportunity to live purposefully to share the gospel with them. And Easter is a great opportunity to do that. Imagine if Calvary Baptist Church doubled in size after Easter. You know what that means? Everyone invited somebody and they all got saved. Imagine that. And if you said right now, Pastor, that's not, that's not possible. Is anything too impossible for God? No. Why could God not double this congregation in one Sunday? Lord, help our unbelief. Because you know why? I'm usually there. I'm the unbelief. I say, no way God could save this person. No way God's going to do this. And he says, whoa, is my arm too short to save? So I want you to think right now, as Calvary Baptist Church, could we double on Easter? Definitely. Not through our power, not through our strength, but guess through the Holy Spirit and the preaching of the word. Pray right now that the Lord will prepare the harvest to go out into and see how God, through belief and faith, is going to do great and mighty things which we cannot think or imagine, Ephesians 3. And if you can imagine it, it's too small for God. You're like, hey, stop talking about this stuff, man. That's too much faith. Let's have faith. Let's see God do great, mighty things which we cannot think or imagine, Paul said. Let us pray. Lord, I pray that we would live intentionally and go outside the walls of this church, Lord, and see our neighbors and our colleagues and our friends as people who need the gospel of Jesus Christ, Lord. May we discover how deep that love was for each and every one of us personally. And Lord, may it energize us and fire us up to go and share the good news and invite people to come on Easter Sunday and say, come with me to come hear the message that changed my life and the resurrection that has buried the dead and sin and rose to new life. Lord, I pray we would take it seriously and have faith that you can do that. Lord, help us as a church. Amen.